Hey everyone, welcome back to the DevOps Lab, the on-prem to the cloud series. This week, hypercharging your DevOps story with Jessica Dean. Pretty awesome stuff, don't miss it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the DevOps Lab. I'm Damian Brady, and today we are talking about hypercharging with DevOps with Jessica Dean. Uh, welcome, Jess. Hi, thanks for having me, Damian. Always great to see you. Yes, you too. Um, and we last spoke on one of the uh, uh, on-prem to the cloud series about Kubernetes, not Kubernetes, sorry, about containers, about dockerizing your um your application or containerizing your application. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to kind of take a bit of a broader step here and, and talk about this whole idea of CICD and, and so on, right? So yeah. wh where do we start? Like, wh what do we need to do to kind of hypercharge our um, DevOps um, process? I think one of the first things we have to do is we really have to consider our application, right? In the terms of Mercury Health, we have a web front end component. There's also a mobile component. We have some intermediate APIs that act as services to help us upload information to Mercury Health. And then of course, we also have our database. Now we're gonna wanna make sure that we structure a continuous integration or a CI pipeline that's gonna have tasks that make sense for each one of those application components. And one of the easiest ways to get started with this is actually to use Azure DevOps. Uh, in particular, because there's a whole suite of different tasks you can use. And if a task doesn't exist, you can even use things like PowerShell or Bash scripts to accomplish the same commands you would run locally and accomplish them in a more repeatable and reliable manner through your, your, CI, your CICD or your continuous integration and your continuous delivery. Yeah, awesome. And it's, it's worth noting as well, I suppose, that... Um... Azure DevOps or Azure Pipelines is not the only option here. You have GitHub if your code is living in GitHub. There's a ton of other ones, Jenkins and absolutely you know, huge I mean, suite. Jenkins, CodeFresh, JFrog, Travis CI. There's there's quite a few. One particular reason that I personally do like Azure DevOps is if you're brand new to this and you're you haven't really written any kind of infrastructure as code or pipeline as code, and you're not really comfortable or familiar with YAML yet using some of the other systems might be a little daunting. Even GitHub Actions is great. And I actually really enjoy personally writing YAML in Actions. I, I might be the odd one, but that also requires a little bit of a learning curve, right? Azure DevOps in particular, because of the task library and it gives you a visual component, kind of makes that a little easier, but absolutely you should use whatever you're comfortable with to build out your CI CD. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can we have a look at what this looks like for Mercury Health you know, so we can get started in, in that process? Absolutely. So right now I'm currently looking at a full CI. Uh, this is the build part of Mercury Health. And one of the cool things is, is you can also right here, you can see the pipeline, the name of the, the pipeline itself. And under agent pool, I actually am given hosted agents. Now an agent is a build server, so to speak. You can bring your own where you set up any of the tools you're going to need, for example, ASP.NET or Visual Studio, or you can use ones that are provided by Azure for you. You can see right now I'm using one that my co-developer Able set up, so we're in a private pool, but I could just as easily switch this over to Azure Pipelines. And from there, I can choose which type of build server I need. 
whether it's Mac, whether it's Ubuntu, whether it's Windows, I can really kind of tailor this accordingly. And this will set the agent for the entire pipeline. What's cool yep. is I can run multiple jobs in this pipeline and I can set individual agents per job. So I can run, you'll see right here, I'm running a Windows specific job to build our ASP.NET and publish those files. But immediately after it, I'm using iOS on a Mac runner or a Mac build agent to publish our mobile component for our app store. It's really powerful. Okay, so we do have a few components here. You've got, you mentioned the web front end, the iOS, mm -hmm. um, and there's a few services and things like that. What kinds of stuff are we doing in this build? Like what do we need to consider when we're building our application? That's an excellent question. One of the biggest things I would say we have to consider is the tasks that we would do ourselves as developers and the order that we do them. Now, if we think back to uh, when we last spoke a few episodes ago and we, we talked about containers and we talked about Docker files, Docker files are kind of a, a set of instructions that you would put in a file, a Docker file, that's ultimately going to either build or simply build, build and run or just run your application. A pipeline is very similar. It's still going to be a set of tasks that make sense for the steps that you're taking. Now, you can kind of take it even further than Docker files in particular because you can set up NuGet uh, or NuGet or package versions. So for example, if I want to do NuGet restore, or if I wanted to use a different language for my application, I have a wide variety of restore and build tasks I can select. I can set up white source bolt, and then I can build my solution. So rather than just focusing on my application, I can also focus on the tools that my build runner or my build server is going to need to successfully complete building my application. I can also do right. things like run unit tests. And this is going to use an actual Visual Studio test task, again, with the parameters that make sense for this particular application and for the tests as they were written. Can also do cool things like publish symbol paths and ultimately publish those files as artifacts. Now, a build artifact is something I can download and use in my release, in my delivery, and it kind of becomes a, a dependency for that delivery process. This part that you're looking at right here, the web front end, is our entire build steps that I would do manually, locally, that I'm now putting into a continuous integration definition example to ultimately build this and create a usable web front end artifact. But another best practice would be to use this in infrastructure as code or pipeline as code as you progress towards your DevOps journey, meaning that you would save this in code and check it in right alongside your application code. And uh, Azure DevOps actually makes this incredibly simple. All I have to do is click on view YAML for the job I'm on, and I get every single step I've defined, I get that now in code. That's one of the things that I personally like that makes it very easy. Yeah, so it's worth mentioning as well, this UI that you're looking at is kind of the classic way of building building these things. But it's, uh, I guess, generally considered better practice, I suppose, to, to have the YAML in line. But this is a great way of actually doing it. You can build these things visually and work them out and then export the YAML and check that in, which I know, I know Abel is a huge fan of and I'm a huge fan of when I need to work this stuff out as well. Um, yeah, so 
export, exporting to YAML basically gives you pretty much exactly the same as what you've got here, but then yes. you can commit that file, correct? Yeah, it gives you the same. And now it also has something where you can version control it. Previously, I prior to joining Microsoft, I come from an ops background. And when we would automate any of the tasks we'd need to ultimately deploy our applications to production, I think we've all worked for those companies where we'd have batch files or PowerShell scripts or whatever kind of organization we would put for our deployment scripts. But we didn't traditionally in operations or IT, we never really adopted the concept of version control. And pipeline as code or infrastructure as code really kind of implies now using version control and leveraging that to our benefit. That way, when we do make a change, if we've actually incorrectly updated or added something, we can fail fast and fall back on our previous commit. We can also yeah. use that as scaling, right? If we are working on maybe a branch to make maybe move a new feature, maybe we are trying to get away from ASP.NET and we want to leverage .NET 5.0. I can now start to work on a feature branch and build a pipeline that makes sense for that. It gives me a lot of granular control that from an IT pro perspective, I never previously had. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so at the end of this process, we've got all of these different components. We're building them all. At the end of the process, we end up with a bunch of artifacts. How yes. do we actually, well, what's the next step? We need to put them into production, right? Or we need to put them somewhere. We do. One of the next steps is we can head on over to releases. I'm going to go ahead and leave that page. We're not going to save anything there. You can see that I actually had quite a few different releases, but let's actually go into this new one I just made. And I want to edit what this release pipeline looks like. The first thing you'll notice is you just mentioned the term artifacts, and I touched on it a few moments ago as well. We have two different artifacts here that we're going to use for our release stage. Now, this is a big real-world release stage. Uh, my Again, my developer counterpart, Abel, would call this the BAM release stage. This is where we're accomplishing a lot, and we'll walk through it. But specifically on the artifacts, anything from our CI is going to be available from this drop, from this project that you see right here that says Mercury Health full CI. It's going to use the latest version. The latest version is the latest CI that was successfully built, and there's what's called a trigger on this release. Once the CI has met the requirements that we've defined, this release is going to automatically trigger using the artifacts that we have made available from that build stage. And now we can take those artifacts and put them into their respective environments. One of the other artifacts we're using is actually dedicated infrastructure tools because another part of our release stage that isn't talked about enough is not only deploying our application, but deploying our application confidently, reliably, and with that guarantee that our infrastructure is provisioned successfully. If a data center were to go down or if somebody were to accidentally delete some part of our infrastructure, if we didn't have policy defined, how could we get back up very quickly? And yeah. that's one of the things that designing specific infrastructure tools, which is a collection of scripts that we can use to stand up our infrastructure. Maybe that's Azure Resource Manager templates, PowerShell scripts, having those artifacts be something that we can use as part of our release now gives us that ability to actually stand up our infrastructure as a part of our release pipeline. Yep, and that gives you more like uh, confidence that everything's actually going to work because you are really doing it in these previous. We're really doing it. And just to show yeah. you, I'll swipe over this and then we'll, we'll drill down into what each 
job and task is kind of doing or what each stage is doing. You can see I have a whole bunch of beta tasks right here, and then we can move over and I have a whole bunch of prod tasks right here. Uh, this is, I mean, this is real world where we are really doing it. We're doing some tasks in parallel. We even have something called front door, which is kind of like a traffic manager to help uh, guide traffic accordingly. And then deploying out both our mobile application, which would publish to the app store using App Center and our web application. Let's go ahead and dive into some of these tasks so you can see, again, how simple it is to structure this. And, and also, I do want to reiterate, this is the visual classic way. All of this can also be added into pipeline as code. But again, there is that learning curve where no one's going to know right off the bat how to add all this to YAML. This is a great way to do so and kind of drag things in the order that makes sense. Yeah. On this infrastructure tool stage, the first thing we're doing is we are actually leveraging Azure Key Vault, which is another best practice because I know as throughout the series, we've also talked to security experts on how we can make sure that we're not storing anything in plain text. We're not accidentally committing connection strings or passwords into our repo or intentionally, uh, which I've seen before as well. And now we're putting it, we're putting our secret information securely somewhere. From there, like I said, if a task doesn't exist that we need, we can use inline PowerShell or PowerShell scripts. You can say I have a PowerShell script I'm referencing, and then I can pass arguments over to that PowerShell script through the use of parameters to provision any kind of infrastructure I need, which in this case is going to create a resource group, a storage account, and then ultimately an Azure function that's gonna fire off everything that we need to stand up and provision our infra infrastructure for the subsequent stages. It's really cool stuff. Now moving on to our actual beta stage where we're kind of setting up our, our dev and our beta environments. We have tasks that make sense for, kind of complements a lot of the episodes we've had throughout this series. We have one that focuses on database. For example, even doing something like a DAC pack task or provisioning our database. Again, we can leverage PowerShell. And these steps are still built on security practices of making sure that we have that information we're pulling properly and securely from Key Vault. We have a step for DNS. And this is one we haven't talked about recently, but this is a big part of making sure that we have really hypercharged our pipeline is we're gonna need our application to be available somewhere through DNS. A lot of times it requires the IT administrator or operator or some team to go and set that up in GoDaddy or Cloudflare or Google domains or wherever your DNS provider is, even Azure DNS. Now I can actually do that and provision it programmatically through a PowerShell script or a Bash script, whatever makes sense for your environment. We also will provision our API services. In this case, we are gonna use Kubernetes for our API services. Though in your environment, it might make more sense to leverage something like Azure Container Instances for that intermediate API. On the back end, it's still gonna be Kubernetes, but you won't have to worry about the complicated overhead and learning curve of ramping up to Kubernetes. Uh, either way, you, we set up our pipeline to make sure that we can scale as needed. Yep. And then moving forward, one of the final steps of our web, web uh, task or beta task is actually the web deployment to this beta environment. And you'll notice we're still using web app on Windows. We talked about in a previous in our previous container video how at some point refactoring your application might make sense. 
But the reality is, as you're starting this journey, it makes more sense to get your application into the cloud in a repeatable way, in a reliable way, built on DevOps best practices, meeting you where you already are with your application. If you already have a legacy application, you can still take advantage of all of these best practices. Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and zoom out here and kind of go back to as this progresses further, since we've drilled down a little. After these beta tasks finish, then we also have a front door task. And that's kind of our traffic manager that's going to handle what can go through essentially a front door into our application. We have some UIT which is gonna be our user integration testing tasks as well. And once those tests complete, this job is actually interesting because we have one job, but if we drill down into it, there's no tasks. Now we did this intentionally because on each one of these stages, you can actually have pre-deployment conditions and post-deployment conditions. Those conditions are contingent on whatever policy you want to define. For example, on this particular task, we wanna make sure that we have a few requirements. For one, because we're still getting comfortable with submitting to the DevOps rulers that you can have all the control, we still want some level of control. We wanna be able to do some manual approvals and we wanna make sure that that approval order happens in sequence, but that the user requesting the release or the deployment cannot be one of the people who also approves it. We also wanna make sure that we validate the identity of the approver before completing the approval. We can set things like deployment gates and deployment triggers if we wanna make sure that it auto redeploys after a set amount of time. This gives us again, greater control over the progression into ultimately prod, which is just a repeat of what we did in beta, but this time in our production environment. It's really quite powerful. Yeah, that, there's a lot there. I think the the summary that I can see is that we've got all of these different stages that do every single thing you want to do to deploy your application. So none of this, and I've been in these environments, I'm sure you have, none of this, well, this stuff gets deployed automatically, but then we have to wait for a bit because somebody has to go and update the DNS entries manually yep. or something like that. Everything gets done and it gets done in small pieces that can run in parallel with the right kind of gates and approvals and things that we need to ensure that we have that that quality and those checks before we go out to production. A lot of it is really kind of thinking about the process that you're already doing and mapping that out. One of the easiest ways to start to get started with DevOps is to write out the responsibilities from all the way from the beginning of your sprint to the deliverable of your sprint and figure yeah. out the tasks, the tasks that you're making that maybe can be automated. And then you put it into a flow or into an order that makes sense. We know that we're going to have to do a certain amount of steps to deploy our API, to deploy our website, to provision DNS. And previously, prior to DevOps, or even still from what customers are doing today and what I was doing just a few years ago, was those manual steps of having to go over and flip a switch on our DNS or sit there and route traffic accordingly. And now we can set all of that up manually. Another benefit of being very intentional with considering the the architecture and the structure of our application is using a service that makes sense for our application. For example, in the case of our production Mercury Health, since we are still using legacy and we're leveraging running it on Windows, we're keeping that an app service. Right now, it doesn't make sense to go all the way over into Kubernetes, but now that we've learned about containers, we have that option. 
one of the ways that app service makes this easy for us is not only does it give us deployment slots that we can actually swap as needed per our necessary environments or any environments we set up and define, but it also automatically gives us access to SSL and TLS. So we don't have to go and provision our SSL or TLS certificates as part of our pipeline. Though if that is a manual task you're doing, that would be another step that you could put in right alongside DNS. Ultimately, there's no wrong way to kind of create your tasks. You're gonna create tasks in the order that makes sense for your enterprise, your business, and the delivery of value to your customers. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a pretty comprehensive example of, of what can and can be done with a lot of um, a lot of detail around, yeah, what stuff we're doing, at least for this for this demo for Mercury yep. Health. It's, I mean, it, like I said, this is, this is the, the BAM of hypercharging. <laughs> we've, we've done it. We have database, we have DNS, we have SSL, we have our testing, we have APIs, we have PowerShell scripts. Like, really, whatever you can envision to make your delivery easier and reduce the overhead you're having to do manually is completely possible with DevOps, whether that's Azure DevOps, GitHub Actions, or Jenkins or any tool really. It just matters of putting it down in an order that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. And that's what we're talking about, hypercharging the DevOps story. Yep. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Jess. Um, look, every company, I'm sure, every person watching this is thinking how they can do this in their own organizations. We'll make sure we'll put some more links in the show notes and things like that to help. But um, thanks so much for showing us for that and further discussion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a blast. Cool. And to everybody else, see you next time on the DevOps Lab. Thank you.